Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, November 28th, and I bring you another podcast. Tonight is going to be a little bit different as I'm just going to kind of weave in and out of different topics tonight. It's more of a hodgepodge than anything more specific. There's been a lot going on in the last week since my last podcast. Uh, certainly to do with the election, and that's something that I will get to uh, at the end of this podcast tonight. Uh, but first tonight, I just want to talk about some members of the Republican Party. These are people who, at one point, were actually considered to be mostly moderate members of their political party. That is no longer the case for any of these people, as they have all bowed down to the glory of Trump. First, I'm going to start off with Rudy Giuliani. Yes, I did purposely just say his name incorrectly. But what happened to him? He, at one point, was known as America's mayor for the way that he handled the aftermath of 9-11. And probably rightfully so. I, at, at that time, in 2001-2002, I had some other things in my life that were a lot more pressing, so I didn't really pay attention to Mr. Giuliani. But apparently, he, he gained a lot of respect for the way that he handled uh, how his city handled the months after 9-11. Yeah, he did marry a cousin. But again, he was deeply respected at the time. He was so respected during all of this that Dennis Miller completely switched his beliefs. At one point in the late 80s and most of the 90s, he was considered to be the liberal icon comedian. Starting out on Saturday Night Live, doing his own specials, doing his own show on HBO. About the only person who was more liberal as a comedian during that time was George Carlin. But after 9-11, he had a completely change in what he believed politically. And it was because of the way that he saw New York liberals treat, in his mind, unfairly, uh, Judy, uh, sorry, Rudy Giuliani after 9-11. Now, it, it, it still eludes me to this day how someone can go from being completely left-wing liberal to completely right-wing conservative over one person, over how someone is treated. So I do kind of wonder if his whole liberal shtick was the actual act. If, in fact, Dennis Miller was actually, his entire life, an actual conservative, and he just played a liberal on TV. But that's really besides the point, uh, since I am talking about Rudy Giuliani, or Giuliani, whichever you prefer. Today, he's really just a shell of himself if we even want to call what he has become a shell. He was considered 
for the longest time one of the top prosecutors in the country for the way that he handled things in New York. And now he has become a laughingstock. It is fairly well known and fairly well accepted that it was at his behest that Trump tried to get a foreign country to investigate Biden before the election, which led to Trump's impeachment. Giuliani was behind that. And now he's running around the country filing these completely baseless lawsuits in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Arizona trying to get the results overturned because they didn't like the results. To date, I believe they are 1 for 31 and 32. They at one point had two victories, but one of those was overturned. And here's really... What should really get on... on Get on your nerves is that they're not actually offering any facts. They're not offering anything. They're going to court and staying away from saying that there was fraud going on because if they make the case for fraud in court and they have nothing to back that up, they could actually lose a law license. So they're staying away from fraud. But you know, more than 30 cases. You've only won one, and that particular one was just allowing poll watchers on both sides to watch the count of the vote from a little bit closer range. That's the only one they've won to this point. But he is in a long line of prominent Republicans who have completely sold their souls for the glory of Trump. And I'm going to talk about a few of them tonight. And the first one I'm going to talk about, after Rudy Giuliani, is of course, Mr. Ted Cruz. Hello, forecasters. I just wanted to remind you again of an opportunity to be a supporter of my podcast. Uh, this begins again, starting at 99 cents a month, going up to 9.99 a month. All you have to do is go to anchor.fn forward slash Michael Hendricks 98, where you can click on the supporter button. It gives you those three different options. Also, as always, always looking for sponsors so anyway that you want to support my podcast and my website so i can do bigger better things please do so now here's the great thing about my podcast i don't do retakes i don't believe in them i try to do as well as i can within the recording now if i screw up right at the beginning of course at that point i'm gonna stop it and completely restart, but if if I lose my train of thought, or my phone goes off, or a dog barks, or anything like that, I'm just going to keep right on going. I don't look for perfection in these. I don't know. Maybe I should. But back to what I was talking about. When I realized in the last segment, I referred to Ted Cruz as Mr. Ted Cruz. 
I would at this point like to completely retract that as I have absolutely no respect for this man. He doesn't really deserve to be called Mr. Anything except Mr. Lapdog, which I will get into. Now going back to what I had just said that Rudy Giuliani is in a long line of prominent Republicans that have completely sold their souls to Gloria Trump. And when I say there are a lot of them, I want to put emphasis on a lot. I'm not going to go through each and every one that would possibly take up five or six different podcasts, but I want to focus on the ones that I think are the most relevant. And right at the top of that list, after Mr. Giuliani, is Ted Cruz, Rafael Cruz. He is really the only Republican in 2016 that stood any chance of defeating Donald Trump and keeping us out of this nightmare. Now, would he have gone on to beat Hillary Clinton? I doubt it. What we thought in 2016 would be a complete rout by Hillary Clinton over Trump, I think would have really come to fruition if Cruz had won instead of Trump. But let's look back to the 2016 primary. There were a lot of people running, a lot of men running. I believe there were a couple of women as well. And the race was really between Ted Cruz and Donald Trump. Now, throughout that campaign, Trump said many nasty things about several of the top contenders in the race. But he saved his most vile things for Raphael. At one point, an ad came out in Utah, sponsored by Donald Trump, approved by Donald Trump, that called Cruz's wife ugly. I just flat out said that she was ugly. Trump later went on to insinuate that Raphael's father was involved in the Kennedy assassination. It appeared in one of Trump's favorite rag magazines, The Inquirer, that Raphael's father was indeed involved in the Trump assassination. Now, to his credit at the time, Cruz... Well, let me rephrase that. Cruz didn't fight back on Trump calling his wife ugly. Cruz didn't fight back on Trump insinuating that his father had something to do with the Kennedy assassination. He said nothing. At all. He stayed quiet. He did not defend his wife. He did not defend his father. That really, at that point, should have told us everything that we needed to know about Ted Rafael Cruz. But to his credit, he stayed in that race longer than he probably should have. Uh, he was essentially pulling the Bernie Sanders of the Republican side. But he even went to the Republican National Convention and still spoke out against Donald Trump. And then something changed. Rafael Cruz completely decided that Trump was the savior of the Republican Party. And said so much in a letter that he published. I mean, it was a complete 
rollover. He rolled over like the dog that he is for Trump and the Trump cult. But this has relegated him to the sidelines. He is now completely irrelevant in the Republican Party. Now his days are spent for the last six months or so going on Twitter, which he says he doesn't like. He prefers Parler, and that's a completely different topic. But he stays on Twitter and picks Twitter fights with people that usually end up handing him his butt. One of those is AOC, Alexandria Cortez. But every time he picks a Twitter fight, he, he completely gets humiliated and he keeps coming back for more. So apparently, even though he is a sitting senator from Texas, he did win re-election in 2018. Apparently his focus, for the next few years at least, are going to be picking completely unwinnable career fights. And that's all I really have to say about Ted Rafael Cruz. Up next on my list is the former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley. Alright, forecasters, if you haven't heard about Anchor, and by now you should have, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain a few details. First of all, it's free. It's never going to cost you anything to make a podcast on Anchor FM. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can also make money straight from your podcast with no minimum uh, listenership. And it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, if you're interested in making your own podcast like I've been doing and like some of my friends and family have been doing, you need to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Now, the common theme that I mentioned at the top of this podcast between uh, these people that I am talking about tonight is, at one point, they were actually considered to be moderates for the Republican Party. They weren't actively involved in the Tea Party uh, crusade in 2010. Uh, They really did not seem to be that far right at all. Uh, but something happened along the way and everything switched. And again, that brings us to Nikki Haley. By the way, uh, she was born as, and I, I do apologize if I do mess up the pronunciation, but her given name at birth was Nimrata uh, Rantuan. I think I have that correct. Again, if I don't, I I do sincerely apologize uh, to Mrs. Haley for that, because that is her given name. But let's think about this real quick. Her given name, Nimrata Rantawa, changed her name to Nikki. 
when she first started running for political office. So, before we even get to the Trump cult, she has already sold her soul to the Republican Party by changing her name to something that sounds more white. I'm not saying she's racist, but, I mean, seriously. There's only one reason to change your name to make it sound more white for your the Republican Party. And again, she is the former South Carolina governor. She gained quite the reputation within the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, really, by seeming to be a moderate Republican. She started losing that edge a little bit. After the, the renewed attempts to get rid of the Confederate battle flag. And just as a side note, what this fight over with the, the Confederate flag, it is the Confederate battle flag. This was never the official flag of the Confederacy. It was a flag that was used in battle. And not even by the entire Confederate army. But there's been a long fight to get rid of the Confederate battle flag uh, from use in the South. And this is when Nikki Haley started kind of losing that moderate shine on her when she actually stood up and defended that Confederate, Confederate battle flag. Again, the fight over the Confederate battle flag, that's a whole different uh, podcast that, yeah, I may consider... Uh, talking about in the future. But at one point in 2016, during the primary, before the South Carolina primary, she was asked who she was going to endorse in the Republican Party. She declined to make an endorsement at that time, but she did make quite the statement. And refusing to endorse anyone in the 2016 primary, she did say anyone but Trump. Which, oddly enough, in 2020, well, really 2019, if you want to start where the Democratic primary started, that became a de facto rallying cry in the Democratic uh, Party leading up to the 2020 election, anyone but Trump. And she actually started this back in 2016. But, as they have done, as the two previous men did, she completely sold her soul for the glory of Trump in order to get a spot within his presidency. And that was the ambassador to the UN, where she defended Trump up and down, uh, defended uh, taking babies away from their parents at the border and putting them in cages. Completely supported that. Went to the UN and gave a speech supporting that. But she even went on record this year. Not a couple of years ago. But this year. And she said that she fully believed that Trump was God's choice for the presidency. This is even after she felt quote-unquote disgusted by his remarks 
after the event in Charleston where you saw white nationalists and Nazis marching and one of them kill an anti-protester an anti-Nazi anti-white nationalist protester she claims in her book that she was disgusted and felt uncomfortable with his support of the white nationalist then turns right around several years later and claims that he Trump was God's choice for the presidency Speaking of which, this brings me to the actual one group that I'm going to talk about here, and a little bit of a revelation about myself. So, hang tight. So, where I'm going with next is Evangelicals. Now, before I get into this, before I really dive deep into this discussion, I need to make a disclaimer and an admission. And this is actually a difficult thing for me to say. It's something that I have not actually admitted to a lot of people. In fact, I think my mother is the only one who knows this. I have kept this uh, secret for a very long time, given where I've lived my entire life. It's, it's something that just really isn't really accepted. But here we go. I am, in fact, an atheist. I have my reasons for being so. I'm not looking to convert anyone or convince anyone that my way is the correct way, and I'm also not looking to be converted into any religion. But I just want it to be clear of where I stand, of what I don't believe in, essentially. And I want it to be clear that I do believe in religious liberty, and I also want it to be clear that I do not believe in rules of laws based on religious texts. I'm not in the United States. The Constitution is clear on this, in, in my opinion. This country was, in fact, founded on the idea of religious liberty. Believing in the religion you want to believe in we're not to believe in. We had a whole segment of population come to England for that, come from England, for that very reason. Again, I don't believe in rules or laws based on religious texts. Although, I, I, if you do, if you do, I, I hear that uh, Iran is very nice this time of year. Yeah, that's a bad joke. Anyways, moving on. The one religious group that I completely don't get, that I don't understand, are evangelicals. Especially when it comes to politics, because they will often vote against their self-interest 
it's not that different from poor white people. But evangelicals will often vote against their, their self-interest if they believe this one particular person or one particular party is going to push one thing they believe. And particularly when it comes to Trump, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted to, to put a word to it. This group have absolutely sold their souls to the glory of Trump, to the cult of Trump. For the life of me, I cannot wrap my head around the idea of why they support him. I mean, I know why they elected him, because he was a Republican. Uh, and because he was elected in 2016, he actually got to appoint three Supreme Court justices and completely reshape the judicial branch in this country for generations to come. That I understand. But their fervent support for him is what I don't understand. He is, in my mind, completely antithetical to everything they came to believe. Or sorry, they claim to believe. He doesn't attend church. Almost ever. And when he does, it's for politics. It is for political gain. He's been married three times, which for evangelicals is not a huge thing. But he's cheated on every single one of his wives, multiple times. It's on record, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not saying anything that's conspiracy. This is on record. He has been credibly accused and has even admitted to rape and sexual assault. Hell, the man is proud of it. Even when that tape came out in 2016, Evangelicals excused it as locker room talk. I spent most of my childhood in locker rooms with different sports. I never once heard anyone talking about women the way Trump did in that video. It is not, it was not, it is not, it will never be locker room talk and how they bent their minds to accept that and to protect him, I will never understand. Nothing about this man screams, let alone says that he is a Christian. Let's think about this for a second. In this year's election, Trump, a non-practicing quote-unquote Christian, got more votes from evangelicals than Biden, who is a very active Catholic and attends church weekly. Not just on holidays and not just when it's politi uh, politically expedient for him. After it was declared that he was the winner of the 2020 election, the very next day, he went to church. And 
before he left that church, he went and visited his son, Bo, in the graveyard of the church. Yet evangelicals still believe that Donald Trump is the chosen one. And that is just something I will never understand. Uh, I don't think at this point there's anything they can ever do or say that will ever satisfy how I believe they sold out their own religion to support a man who doesn't even believe in their religion. So now we're going to move on to political correctness, otherwise known as PC. Yes, this is a complete change from what I have been discussing uh, with the seemingly, quote-unquote, seemingly moderate Republicans that have completely sold their souls to the cult of Trump, to the glory of Trump. But I do want to touch on political correctness. It is a conversation that I had over this week. And I just want to kind of put it out there into the ether. So in regards to political correctness, I fought for a long time when I was younger with the idea of political correctness. I didn't know if it was something that I liked, something that I was on board with, or something that I just wanted to completely reject. And yeah, there are exceptions to PC that push it way to a point where it becomes ridiculous. I'm not going to go into this right now because that's not the point of what I'm wanting to make on this segment. But yeah, there are times when PC goes overboard and it becomes ridiculous. Yet as I've gotten older and looked at it more, looked at the actual idea behind what is called political correctness, the more I understood it, and the more I became began to accept it. And really for me, what I came down to, what I decided on, when I fully started understanding and, and finally accepted it, is that it's more about the evolution of thought. If you say or do something that someone objects to, you essentially have two responses to that objection. Regardless of those two responses, first you want to try to understand why that person objected. Now, if you decide, oh, you're just being PC, you need to act like a man, is usually what they like to say. You're being a wuss. You're being way too PC. That's a complete rejection of that objection. But if you think about it, if you try to understand why this person is objecting to what you just said, how you said it, or why you said it, you still, at this point, have two responses. 
you try to understand why that person objected to what you said or did or said uh, or acted and evolve your thought process and grow and let's be honest mature or you completely reject it the choice and the consequence is yours and yours alone it is not up to the person who objected to what you did or said to evolve or understand where you're coming from. I'm sorry, but it just isn't. It's it's on you if you're one of those people. Having said that, if you're one of those people who completely rejects the idea of political correctness, you're probably not listening to this podcast to begin with. Now, how that ties into politics? Well, let me tell you. It has been suggested in the last week that if Democrats want to get back rural white voters, and believe me, that is hard to say really fast and at the same time. So let me rewind and say this again, that it has been suggested within the last week that if Democrats want to get back rural white voters who used to be sort of a base for them, they have to abandon Completely, absolutely abandoned the idea of PC. Let's stop and think about this for a second. The Democratic Party hasn't won a majority of the white vote since Lyndon Johnson won election in 1964. Ladies and gentlemen, that is 56 years that the white vote has not gone for the Democrats. So what does this mean? It means that white people, for the most part, I'm white, many of my friends who are liberal are white. Um, But white people, by and large, are not the base of the Democratic uh, Party. People of color are. And when I say people of color, that is black men and women, Latinx men and women, Cuban men and women. So, why should the Democratic Party try to win over a voting block that again has not voted for the party in 56 years? It logically doesn't make any sense. Between 2016 and 2020, Trump actually gained points within the white voting block. Now, 2020, we don't know the full numbers yet. I'm working off poll or exit polls, so this can go up and up and down either way. Uh, but I don't think it's going to change dramatically to where Biden suddenly picks up votes, and he's certainly not going to win the white vote. Uh, In 2016, Trump defeated Clinton 54 to 39% among whites. That's a 15-point spread. So far with an exit polling, Trump defeated Biden in 2020 by a 58 to 41 margin. 
that's a 15 point swing to a 17 point uh, uh, swing. Um, that is a 15 point advantage changing to a 17 point advantage. And Trump actually gained four points. And we know, I was looking at the numbers before I did this show, and where he actually gained the most votes within the, the white voting block was women. In 2016, he won white women by, I believe, five points. 2020, it was double digits. But my point remains. The base of the Democratic people, or the Democratic Party, is people of color. So actually attempting to pull in white people by changing the beliefs of the Democratic Party makes absolutely no sense. It is not logical. And it would be an absolute disaster for the party. Goes back to my original point. The Democratic Party, by and large, has evolved their belief system to identify more with people of color. Because that, whether people like it or not, that is the base of the Democratic Party. I have one more section or segment that I'm going to talk about tonight. It has to do with the with elections because this is an election podcast after all. And it actually involves a correction from my very first episode. Stay tuned. Hey, have I told you yet that you can be a supporter of this podcast by going to my website, which you probably went through to get here to listen to this podcast. That's a lot of words to say that you can be a supporter of my podcast. Just go to my website, click on supporter. You can support me for either 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99 a month. Also, at any time, leave me a message that I will respond to. If I like the message enough, I may even play it right on my podcast. So what are you waiting for? Come on by. So in conclusion, we're moving on to the election. Going to do a couple of updates as far as the results. Um, But I'm working on several different projects having to deal with elections. At uh, one point, at some point, I will be putting this up on my blog. More than likely, we'll also do a podcast re- uh, in regards to some of these projects. Of course, the big one is Electoral College, which is coming in the next couple of weeks. But while I was working on one of those projects over Thanksgiving, it actually led me to realize that I made a mistake in my very first episode. In that episode, I stated that Trump was the only president to lose the popular vote twice. I was incorrect. I am officially stating at this point that I was wrong. Now, had he won this election, he would have been the first president to lose the popular vote twice and still win the president, uh, still win the presidency and be reelected. But there have been five men who have lost a popular vote and still ended up winning the presidency thanks to the Electoral College. Out of those five men, only one, George W. Bush in 2004, 
actually won re-election. One of those men uh, actually did not run for re-election, and so that leaves three. One of the one of those three, and actually it wasn't one of those three, but let me gather my thoughts on this. Grover Cleveland was the 22nd president of the United States. And despite winning the popular vote, Benjamin Harrison became the 23rd president because he won the Electoral College. Four years later, Grover Cleveland became the first president to serve non-consecutive terms. Let me phrase that a little bit differently. He became the first and only president to serve uh, non-consecutive terms when he was elected as the 24th president of the United States. So, all right, that that's my correction on this. Now, five men have won election despite losing the popular vote. Only one has won re-election, and that was George W. Bush. Uh, Benjamin Harrison was one of the three who ran for re-election and lost. And he actually lost re-election to the man that he defeated four years prior. Uh, now, just to do a quick uh, update on the election uh, before I close out this episode. At the latest count, I'm not sh- really sure how close we are to being finished with this count at this point. Uh, we still have outstanding in New York. They're still, amazingly, still sitting at 84%, but a large enough chunk of votes have come in uh, that Joe Biden has eclipsed 80, per- or 80 million votes. He is currently sitting in 80,104,118 votes. Uh, Donald Trump is just, just, just over 80,000 votes from hitting 74 million. Uh, but the bigger number for me within the popular vote is that Joe Biden is sitting at 51.1% to Donald Trump's 47.1%. That's a 4% difference. And it is the reason why I started one of these projects. Uh, looking at who has won the highest percentage of votes throughout the United States history. Uh, no one's ever going to come close to George Washington, who managed to get 100% in his two, only two elections. But again, this is the second highest. No, I'm sorry. This is the highest percent that a challenger has gotten against a sitting president since the 1920s. Uh, Biden did eclipse Reagan's win in 1980, though the difference between the two was a little bit closer. Uh, But this is a clear win for Biden, 51.1%. If anything else, that, that itself is impressive. Think back to the Clinton term. Both elections, 92 and 96, he failed to hit 50%. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see where this goes. But that is all I have for this podcast tonight. I hope you enjoyed this one. 
Still working on my uhs and ums. No, wow. Still working on my uhs and ums. Still working on keeping an upbeat voice and not so monotone, even though I do love my deep baritone voice, like I mentioned in the first podcast. But I'm going to do more to try to make this more weekly. Gonna, it's going to be on the weekends for the most part. Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Whenever I find that time to get in. Uh, we'll see in the next week what is going on politically. To see where we can go. Otherwise, as always, stay safe out there. Wear your mask in public. Stay six feet away. We've still got this raging pandemic. But, like I'll keep saying, the light is at the end of the tunnel. Good night, friends.